Amen. If you have a Bible, would you open with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 17 through 21 uh, this morning. As you're opening there, let me just say a word. Um, It's been a hard month here at our church and a struggle and a challenge for so many of us. And uh, many of you have lost friends and loved ones this month. Uh, I want to just say a word uh, to you about what an encouragement you've been to me during this time and all the ways that you've shown me love and encouragement and uh, I'm the one least deserving of it and least needing of it, of those who are struggling and wrestling, but your grace has been so manifest uh, to me in every text and phone call and you stopped me in the hall and countless others of you I know are praying uh, as well. So thank you so much and let's continue, my friends, to bear one another's burdens Uh, Of course, to rejoice with those who rejoice, but to continue to weep with those who weep. What a grace the Lord's church is in our lives. I hope you see it that way. In fact, I I know you do. I can see it in your lives, and I'm thankful um, that you're my church and for your love and encouragement to me. Galatians chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. If you have your Bibles open there, why don't you go and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Uh, Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me And gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law. Then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. Oh Father would you open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. And God I pray that we will be changed by it. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Unfortunately, um, I've had to think about and talk about death a lot lately. Um, I've had to do interviews about death. I've had to think about death. I've had to try to comfort people over death. In so many ways, it feels like death is pressing in on us, doesn't it? Maybe not everywhere, but it certainly does to us. It feels like death is all around us these days. And one thing I've noticed as I talk to people about death and the challenge and the struggle of death, and not always, not necessarily believers, but really people outside the church, people who aren't Christians, it's really clear that for them, there's no tragedy, there's nothing worse than death. Now listen, I've, you've heard me say this, I say this at almost every funeral, and I say this here all the time. 
I, I refuse to make peace with death. I, I won't greet as a friend that which my Lord calls his enemy. So, so don't think for a moment that I'm okay with death or I'm cool with death or some people act almost like death is a good thing for a Christian. Now, there are good things on the other end of death for a Christian, right? But God didn't make you to die. He made you to live. And the reason why we grieve as those who have hope is not because we think death doesn't matter or it's no big deal. It's because Jesus has defeated death and the grave. He's defeated sin, death, and the devil. And for that, we're grateful. But I've noticed as I talk to people outside the church, people outside the faith, that they think about death and talk about death differently. And you may wonder, is it just simply that we believe in heaven? Is that the only reason why, as Christians, we feel like we can face death? with confidence, that we can face death with hope. There are stories from all throughout church history of Christians facing unspeakable death, sometimes death under torment and torture, with a calmness and a confidence in Jesus. Why is it that we can face death the way we do, that we can even think about death the way we do? Well, I would argue it's because we believe in good news. Not only that, not only because of the hope we have for the future, but as Christians, we also believe something is true about us precisely because it's true about Jesus. We deal with this in this passage at hand. Look at what Paul says. I have been crucified with Christ. Now think about that. There's no worse death, there's no worse fate that could become a person, not simply crucifixion, lots of people were crucified, but the crucifixion which Jesus suffered was a suffering, I believe, of the wrath of God. In other words, hell was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. Unspeakable torment and pain. What Paul is saying about himself, and what's also true of you is this, that the worst possible thing that can happen to you has happened already in Christ. You've already faced death. And also, the best thing that can happen to a Christian has already happened to the Christian. You have been raised with Christ. And when you entered into the church, we all celebrated together with a picture of that reality. More than likely, it happened right back there. You were what? Buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in new life. Last week we talked about the doctrine of justification. That is, the righteousness that you've been given through Jesus means that you have a perfect standing before God. Paul talks about the fact that justification doesn't come by works of the law, it comes only by faith. Our, our Baptist faith, the message says it this way. Justification is God's gracious and full acquittal upon principles of His righteousness of all sinners who repent and believe in Christ. Justification brings the believer unto a relationship of peace and favor with God. What we believe, we believe because the Bible teaches that you can be made righteous before God only by grace through faith, believing in the atoning work of Jesus. I want you to think about this this morning. What does it mean for you to be justified by faith alone? 
What does it mean that you have been crucified with Christ and raised to walk in new life? What does that mean for your life today? What are the ramifications of this reality? The Apostle Peter at Antioch had been acting hypocritically and Paul confronted him on this fact and he reminded him that we are justified by faith and faith alone by the grace of God. And he's now trying to help everyone, I think maybe even Peter in particular, understand the ramifications of this. As we're all trying to think through and pray through how to be holy believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope these three truths this morning will help you understand and live out your justification by faith alone. Three truths this morning, I think, that will help you understand what your justification means in your heart and life and help you, help you live it out in your life. Here's the first point I want you to see this morning. It's this. Christ does not serve sin. Christ does not serve sin. So Paul's just said, by works of the law, no one will be justified. You'll remember in verse 15, he said, We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. I think that's part of what he's saying to Peter. And perhaps this text this week is too. It's sort of hard to tell where Paul's address to Peter ends and his commentary begins. But nonetheless, these are, this is truth. Look, notice what he says in verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Do you, do you see that parallel back to verse 15? I hope you'll notice this. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth, that's Paul and Peter, and not Gentile sinners. And then there's a kind of parallel verse here in verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, that is by grace through faith, and we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not, or literally, God forbid that we believe such a thing. Paul then says in verse 18, a strange-sounding verse, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Do you see what Paul's turning to here? I think it's a question I bet y'all felt. I know I feel this question. It's a question Christians have been asking for centuries now. And it's this, does justification by faith, that is, the, the fact that we believe that we're saved by grace alone and not by works, does that breed sin among the people of God? Do you feel that? I, I, just a few weeks ago, we did a law and gospel uh, talk here at the church, and one of the things we talked about is, okay, so if we're free from the law and we're no longer under the Mosaic law and, and we are saved by grace through faith, then does that mean that we're free to sin all we want? And you've heard somebody ask that question, right? Well, of course Jesus is going to forgive you. You've seen people take Christian liberty and abuse it for the sake of sin. That's what Paul's asking. Is Christ a servant of sin? If those of us who are under the law have come to find out that we are sinners too and that the only righteousness we can have is not by living out the law like we believed growing up, not, not, not necessarily us, but them, like they believe growing up that righteousness is attained through the law, does that mean now that we're justified by Jesus and we have a perfect legal standing before God? No matter what the law says about us, Christ has said that we are beloved of God and one with His family. If that's the case, does that mean then that we can sin all we want? 
No. That's not what it means. And so often, those of us who are bent toward legalism, which is probably most of us in the room, I've, there, there's another sort of error, right? Legalism is an overvaluing of the law or a, a, a view to the law to help us earn God's favor or maybe even to be justified. There's levels of that error, right? Because some people who are genuinely justified by grace through faith and believe the gospel still fall into the trap of legalism, just like Peter did, right? We start to feel like maybe we need to add something to it. Well, there's another error on the other side of the road called antinomianism. This is an anti-law sort of view. It's this view, sort of like this error I'm describing already, that says basically, because I'm justified by grace through faith, I can do anything I want to do. I can live however I want to live. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Well, that's neither of those are the gospel way. But what so often happens for those of us who are bent toward legalism, and the reality is most church people are, okay? That's not all bad. I'm glad that on Sunday mornings, my children learn in Sunday school what God expects of them. It's important. It's important to know God's standards. It's important to know God's commands. It's important to understand that and to know that. I'm glad they know. I'm glad they know that God is a God of justice. I'm glad they know that there's a demand for behaving before the Lord. But I also am doing all I can to make sure that they know that behaving before the Lord is not why God loves them. It's not how they're saved. So most church people are bent a little bit toward legalism. I'm not calling you all Pharisees here this morning. I I wouldn't dare do that. But I, I am a recovering Pharisee, and I say, say that a lot, and I'm bent toward legalism. I'm sure many of you are too. So what can happen oftentimes when someone who's bent a little bit toward legalism discovers grace, right? starts to drink deeply from the grace of God, starts to really get a grasp, not just here, but it starts to work down into their heart that they are justified by grace through faith alone. They start to feel sort of listless, sort of like their anchor gave way. Because for so long, what it meant to be holy was to do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Your righteousness for so long is rooted in law that you start to wonder, how do we act? How do I live out the gospel? And so there's a real temptation for us to say, okay, I want to take the law and I want to put training wheels back on my grace bicycle. I think Jesus and the Holy Spirit, because of this grace, they've given me this grace, and I don't know that I know all that I need to do with it, so I'm going to put the training wheels of the law back on my life. I, I just need some help staying between the lines. And we start to add the law back a little bit, and eventually we can wind up adding so much law back that we're really, though we're justified by grace through faith before Jesus, our righteousness and the way we're living our Christian life is as if it's by works. 
as if our righteousness, our holiness, our sanctification, the process by which we come, become more and more like Jesus over time, sometimes we give in to this idea that maybe, sure, I'm justified by grace through faith. I can do nothing to save myself, but somebody's got to get to work if I'm going to be more like Jesus, and so I'm going to do that by the law. Listen to what Paul says. Here's the irony of it. Grace and what Jesus has done by justifying us by grace through faith does not make Christ a servant of sin. God forbid that that be the case. Jesus never serves sin. He wants you to be holy by grace through faith. But notice what Paul says. Verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words, grace alone doesn't lend itself to a heightened sinfulness. It doesn't lend itself to licentiousness. But the irony is, if you really want to be a transgressor, start adding the law back to grace. If you really want to get a sense of how sinful you really are, if, you, if you're afraid that grace is going to lead you towards sin, the, the way to correct that, I promise you, is not to rebuild what you've torn down. It's not to start adding law back. If you want to live out the commandments of God by grace through faith, you do it just like that by grace through faith. You trust Jesus that what He said is true. You root your obedience in your sonship, the fact that you're adopted into the family of God. You put off evil deeds by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you put on good works by the power of the Holy Spirit, not in your own works. It doesn't happen by the law. And that's the great irony. And that's oftentimes why in legalistic contexts we are so shocked by the depravity that's there under the surface and the profound sinfulness that's there under the surface because it seems like every T is crossed and every I is dotted, but in the reality, law has no power over sin. It doesn't. You can't become more like Jesus by the law. What actually breeds sin and sinfulness is trying to reestablish the law when you're already in Christ. And our endeavor to be justified in Christ, if we're found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? God forbid. But if you want to be proved to be a transgressor, start to add back. Start to rebuild what's been torn down. There's no reason to do that. You have all you need in Christ. And that's our first point. Christ does not serve sin. So if you, as you're thinking through grace, if you find yourself sort of listless and floating and you don't know how to, how to be holy like this, don't start adding the law back. Don't go back. Don't rebuild what you tore down. It's not the way. It's not the way. But second of all, as we think through justification, we need to know this truth. And this helps us become more like Jesus. Your life is framed by Christ's work. Your life is framed and defined by the work of Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul says in verses 19 and 20. What, what, what does he say? For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, 
But Christ who lives in me, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. Through the law, I died to the law so I might live to God. You see, we are so tempted to think. Everyone you talk to, when I try to talk to my precious children about the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'll talk to them and I'll say, you know, Jesus loves you and he cares about you. What do you think it means to be a Christian? And they're growing in this actively, but especially when we first began to talk to them about the gospel, they would say things like, to be a Christian means that you need to obey what God tells you to do. It's my kids. My kids. It's what we're all tempted to say, isn't it? That to live unto God... To have a good relationship with God. If you want to really know God, and you really want God to love you, you better obey and do what He says. But Paul says, through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. How is it we die to the law? It's because Jesus kept the law perfectly, the Bible says. He was perfectly righteous. He kept the law for us. He lived by grace through faith in a perfect way unto his Father, trusting what God had said in his word, trusting and believing what the Scripture said, trusting and believing, I think, the testimony of the Holy Spirit in his own heart as he lived his life. Jesus was perfectly righteous and lived out the law with perfect righteousness. And the Bible says, You were crucified with Christ. Now, I want you to think about this right now. Some of you brought your guilt into the room today. Some of you did. And for some of you, you ought not have because the Lord Jesus has already taken care of it. And others of you say, Preacher, I don't know what you want me to do with this guilt. I've never trusted Jesus. I've never put my hope and trust in Him. I have nothing to do but carry it. I have nothing to do but take this burden with me everywhere I go. Whether I walk on the by roads, whether I walk on the highway, whether I go through a slew of despondency, here this burden of guilt is with me. I am a sinner. And some of you brought that guilt in, and that guilt is testifying to you every moment perhaps believer, about who you once were. Who you were in the past. And perhaps you're right now, you've settled in on this television station, or you're here in the room right now, and you don't know Jesus, and that guilt is telling you about who you are in the past and who you are right now. And I would bet you almost anything right now that that guilt is telling you who you will always be. You're a sinner. This is who you are. There's nothing else you can do but be a sinner. Abandon all hope, ye who carry this burden. But I want you to know something right now. Who you've been and who you are and your guilt and your sin and the condemnation you feel, and the rightful weight you feel for the sins you've committed, the reality you're experiencing that you are far from God because of your sin, that does not have to define you. 
Because if you are a believer, the Bible says your old man was crucified with Christ. You have died to sin. Through the law, you died to the law. You no longer, a sinner, have to be defined by your sin. You don't have to have your guilt constantly whispering in your ear. You don't have to hear the devil point your guilt out. You don't even have to listen to the world highlight your guilt. You can even ignore self-righteous Christians who want to highlight your guilt and how bad you are because right now, by faith, you can be united and joined with Jesus and whoever you were and whoever you are and whatever guilt it is you're carrying can go to the cross with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you see that truth? Don't you see the beautiful freedom? And then what does Paul say? He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and now it is no longer I who live. We die to the law. How do we die to the law? We're crucified with Christ, but now we're alive to God. It's no longer I who live. How is it? It is Christ who lives in me. That is, when you are united by faith to Jesus, who you were, the old man who once reigned over you and gave in to the passions of your flesh without even so much as pumping the brakes, dies with Jesus, and now the new man is raised to new life and is empowered by the Lord Jesus Himself to live out righteousness. And now the power of Christ is alive and at work where the old man once reigned. By the power of of the Holy Spirit. And then what does Paul say? Because of these truths, the life I still live in the flesh. Jesus doesn't promise that you'll be off with the flesh completely. He doesn't promise that you'll live a perfect life. No, we still live a life in the flesh even after we're saved. Paul says, I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Do you see why you don't want to go back to the law? Don't, don't go back to the law. Don't don't go back. The law came down from the mountain accompanied with smoke and gloom and darkness and the thunderous Word of God. But the Lord Jesus came down from the cross and He went down into the grave and He burst forth with light and hope. And He says, come unto me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't go to the law. Come to Jesus. In the life you now live in the flesh, you can live by faith in the Son of God who loves you who gave Himself for you. This is where you live now. Before, you were doing law-keeping by the flesh, and you were doing a terrible job of it. You know you were. I know you were. I know I was. We were. Law-keeping by the flesh is impossible. But now, you're practicing by grace through faith, with the empowering of the Holy Spirit, gospel-centered, faith-driven obedience, because you know, not, oh, God's going to be so angry with me if I don't keep His commands. No, now you say, Jesus loves me, and He gave Himself for me, and I'm going to trust Him because I can't do this on my own. It's the gospel. It's the truth. This is who you are now. You have been buried with Christ. In his crucifixion. You have been raised with Christ in his resurrection. And though you're still here on, in this world, you're not directly in the presence of Jesus yet. The life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God. 
who gave Himself up for you, who loves you. It's the truth, my friends. Not only do we recognize that Christ doesn't serve sin, not only do we recognize that your life is framed by Christ's work, but finally, your righteousness, your righteousness is not through the law. This is not a performance-driven church. Uh, This is not a performance-driven Bible. This is not a performance-driven gospel. Notice what he says in verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, Paul says, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Don't. The grace of God is here for you, sinner. Unrepentant, never saved sinner. Jesus died for you. His grace is available for you right now. Don't nullify the grace of God by saying, well, one of these days I'll get things tightened up enough and then I'll present myself to Jesus and He'll be more amenable to me. What you're trying to do is say, eventually I'll work my way to Jesus. Believer, God's grace is available for you right now. Don't nullify God's grace. Righteousness is not through the law. And if it were, if it were, Christ died for nothing. Christ died for nothing? That's right. I ask you this question. Are you saying with your life, and your desire to add works to the gospel, and your desire to earn God's favor through the law, are you saying with your life something you would never say with your lips, which is there was no reason for Jesus to die on the cross? Oh, my friend, we're here in the South. We're so offended when people do nice things for us. Because we're supposed to do something nice first. You know? Don't give me that gift. I don't even have a thank you note written yet. (laughs) Don't give me that gift. I don't have a gift for you. We're so offended when people do kind things for us. And sometimes I think it leads us to want to say, Oh, Jesus did all this for me, but I better do some more for Him before I accept this gift. Oh, my friend. Oh, oh, certainly, because of what Jesus has done, we ought to trust Him and believe Him and live out this gospel in holiness and in sanctification. But don't think for a moment that you'll do it if you're trying to add the law to what Christ has done. If you think righteousness is going to come anywhere but from the free gift of God, you're nullifying the grace of God. You're saying, Jesus died for nothing. Take the gift. Take the free gift by faith. Grab it and know and realize I have been given so much by Jesus. Are you living like the law can save you? Are you trying to rebuild what by the power of Christ was torn down? You say you believe that Jesus died for you, but are you living as if Christ died for no purpose? Are are you one of these people who are very religious 
and you've said your whole life, oh sure, yeah, of course I would believe Jesus died for me, but I'm really going to do my best to just live by the law my whole life. And you've never accepted the grace of God given to you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you acting like righteousness is through the law and not through faith in Jesus? And in so doing, you get neither grace nor righteousness. You don't get any of it. You lose it all. And right now, as you hear this gospel, it feels like if you were to do that, if you were to drop on your knees before the Savior, Jesus Christ, you say, it feels like, it feels like dying. It feels like death's all around me. It feels like I would lose all this that I've built. And it feels that way because it's true. It feels that way because it's true. You will be crucified with Christ. But in so doing, in so doing, you will live unto God by grace through faith. You'll let go of all that you've built and cling only to that which Jesus has built by grace through faith. That's it. That's all you have. If you want to live, you have to trust Jesus. It feels like you're being crucified, but I want you to know, on the other end, on the other end, is life. The worst thing that could ever happen to you could happen today. You could be crucified with Christ. Oh, but the best thing that could ever happen to you could happen to you today. You could live by faith unto God. I hope you'll make that choice. First, I hope you'll make that choice if you're an unbeliever. If you've never trusted Jesus for the first time, I hope you will put your faith in Him today. Oh, I hope you'll make that decision if you're a believer who's been going back to the law. F fire, fire your contractor. Quit trying to rebuild what's already been torn down run into the arms of your Savior who loves you and who gave Himself for you today. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I hope and pray you'll come be a member here, not based on your performance, but to be accepted by the grace of God here at First Baptist Church. I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to be a member here of this church. After this prayer, I'd like to invite you to come. Let's pray together.